Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. Starring Mark Claire and Renzo Martinez. All right, you second print suffering succotashes. Welcome back to the Second Print Comics Podcast. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your families, virtually or otherwise, however you do things. Uh, but we are back here. It's another Second Print Comics Podcast. And of course, I could not do this. I, I guess I could do it. It just might be weird, me talking to myself, uh, actually, as I actually have done on, on the Patreon. But this is not that day. Today, we have got my co-host, as always, the rambunctious Remzo Martinez. Remzo, what's happening? Mark, you tend to drink when you record alone. I worry about you. <laughs> I tend to drink when I record, period. So, touche. As you might touche. see right here. Well, there you go. Somebody knows what's up. You know, I'm drinking wine. It, it fuels me at times. What can I say? I feel you. I feel you. You've been known to hop on a podcast or two after, after a beverage or something. I don't admit it. And if I do, I don't remember it. I don't make it part of the marketing. Nope. <laughs> you have to just listen to every episode and enjoy the experience when it does happen randomly. All right. Well, Remzo, we've got a, we've got a lot to get into today. Specifically, uh, this book that I'm going to bring us back to, uh, a book that I got into uh, as a teenager. We're going back to Image. But before we do that, we actually have some breaking news. Oh. So uh, cue the breaking news music. Breaking news for those of you who tuned in to the X-Men Draft, which aired to the public last week. Of course, our wonderful patrons, which you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash secondprintpod. Our patrons, of course, got to see that live streaming in the fan-only Second Print Comics Fan Zone Facebook group. Uh, but there has already been a, a little bit of a, a controversy following that draft. Apparently, Remzo, one of the characters you drafted not actually a mutant. What happened there? Recap this for us. You know, you know what? Uh, we, we, and I mean, me had a had a mix up with a certain mutant named Mimic, who was not by the legal definition of the word a natural mutant. So, for the sake of the team, not to disqualify everyone else, he was kicked off and replaced with Beast. And now we're all lesser because beast of that. Or original it's, beast? it's okay. Well, if I want to get into specifics, it's Gray Beast. Gray Beast from the Avengers era. Okay, I didn't realize you got to pick pick a random beast. From well, I mean, you were asking which beast. So if I if I can, I'm gonna pick the coolest one. I feel like you have a stronger chance. So I I, I intentionally waited to put the public vote. Uh, we had a vote in our fan group uh, that I'm currently winning, but it's early. Uh, but I'm, I'm waiting. You, to post you're the you're calling vote. that victory too fast. We need to make hey. sure we count every vote <laughs> in that poll. There are rumors of illegal ballots being cast, but we don't need to get into all that right now. Uh, but I will post it publicly on our Facebook, our oh. Twitter. So. Anyone listening will be able to vote uh, based on the knowledge that Mimic is not a mutant, that Remzo 
was not prepared for this draft at all. And drafted. I was even. more than prepared. Somebody wanted to do a personal hit piece on each member of my team, a hardworking member of the Uncanny Extras, and delve so far into his past as to check his birth certificate, basically, on Wikipedia. <laughs> They ran a genetic test and said, "No, you you were not." What what is Mimic's actual origin then? He, well, he was uh, he was technically a lab experiment, but oh. he was the first non mutant member of the X Men. So because of that, uh, he is often confused as a mutant, as he was during the Dark X Men era of the Dark Reign period of Marvel Universe. So it was literally a honest mistake that. Uh, a competitor who shall not be named, Jenny, decided to go out of her way and, uh, uh, you know, launch this October surprise of sorts. <laughs> yes, there was an expose. She had a team of experts uh, investigating the pasts of, of all of your teammates. Lord I'm knows not, what else I'm she not up, saying but. there was interference, but what I'm saying is that, you know, this is uh, this is going to be a dirty this is going to be a <laughs> dirty election. Very, very dirty. So uh, please do check out all our social media, our second, the Second Print Comics Podcast Facebook page. Uh, you can also find us. I'll try to. I don't know if you can post polls on, on Instagram. I don't think you can, but I'll post a poll on Twitter, on, on Facebook. Uh, you can vote wherever you want. You can vote twice, because why not? <laughs> it's that kind of election. If you, if you vote for me, you can vote twice. That's yeah. If you vote for anyone else twice, we will have problems. Based on the early returns, you're going to need a lot more than double votes. You cannot mail the shit in. Um, but uh, speaking of, I don't know, I was trying to think of a transition from, from mail the shit into this book, but it just wasn't happening. But, uh, well, you know who didn't mail in mail something in? And that is the artist and creator of the book. See, I did do it. Of the there book go. we're going to look at today. And uh, this is a, a book that is, it actually gained a little bit of pop culture notoriety uh, because MTV uh, picked this up as a TV show, an animated TV show in, uh, I think, the mid-90s. And so some people may have heard of the, this uh, book that have never read the comic, but the book is called The Max. It is by Sam Keith. Uh, Sam Keith is probably best known besides this. He did, I think, the first five issues of Neil Gaiman's Sandman series. He, he kind he of came uh, up with the look for Morbius. Of, yeah, he came, up, he came up with a lot of the look of, of those original characters. Uh, eventually, Morpheus, uh, I guess he had, not, not Morbius. He had Neil, uh, he and Neil Gaiman had a little bit of a, I don't know if it was a personal falling out, but I just professionally, I've read that Neil Gaiman just decided that, you know, apparently Keith quit the book, but Neil Gaiman has later said that his art wasn't really fitting the style of the direction that he, he wanted he to go with. He didn't quit. I kicked him out like a dog. Yeah. It's like Liefeld uh, leaving Image, you know, there'll, there'll be a controversy. Everybody will say that who left. You who can't left fire first. me. I quit. I, I said that to him. I quit. But uh, Sam Keith did what uh, many artists and creators were doing at this time uh, after the Image Boys paved the way, as we discussed uh, three about three weeks ago. Yeah, three about. weeks ago in episode fifteen, uh, the Image or we, we went we broke down the entire Image Comics revolution. Uh, Sam Keith was not a part of that revolution, but he was one of the creators who came on uh, within a year or two and uh, got the same deal as the other creators. Now these other creators that came in, uh, they were not you know members of the board or presidents or anything like that or co-owners of Image. But they essentially got the same deal in terms of their work. They got to create and own all of their own characters. Uh, so that is the case with Sam Keith and the Max. Uh, so before we get into this book, Remzo, first I got to know, how familiar with the Max were you prior to uh, researching this episode? Had you read the books? Had you seen the series? I, I had been a, a passive admirer from a distance, but I will say that I've only read the first four issues of the series, and it is different. I don't know if uh, if it's. Did you read those? Are those the four you read for this, or had you read them prior? 
before I read for this. This is my first time. So I, this is your very first I, time. This is my very first time. I will say right. that, like you know, it. one like one, of, one of the wonders of the show is that I get exposed to things that I would not have read otherwise, but turn out, you know, to actually like as a result. So it, uh, yeah, that's about it. It's, it's different. I don't think I'll you be, ever, uh, no, you had know. you ever seen the cartoon? No, I didn't know there was a cartoon until it was oh, brought okay. up. Well, interesting. Interesting. The cartoon is quite, it's actually very, very close to, it really keeps the feel and, uh, and almost, I mean, I think the first few episodes, very nineties like MTV. Yes, very much. It, it very much fit the style that uh, MTV was doing with some of its weird cartoon experiments back then. Uh, but that being said, let's get, get right into it. Uh, this is the Max we're going to be looking at. This is actually the first. There's a couple of different ways they produce these volumes, but we're looking at the maximized version of, of the trade paperbacks. And this one, this is volume one, which collects issue one through four of the original series. Now, uh, the maximized versions, they are exactly the same except they have new coloring. So he want, he improved the coloring a little bit, I believe. Uh, otherwise, it's the exact same book. So, you know, it shouldn't be different. You should be able to read these. The, I have these original issues. I think I have the first... I think I have the first twenty something issues of the Max at home. This is this was Mustache. a I, I want to say a monthly pull for me uh, back in the day, but uh, I don't believe this really came out on a monthly schedule. How did many, how did they how did how did they promote these back then? Did they promote them like through the through the through full page ads and other image books? Because this doesn't yeah. seem like something that I mean it, it has its own pop culture movement. You know, kind of a cult classic, but it's not one of those things that's ever that seems to have been really pushed then, nor is it really pushed now like some other stuff. I'm almost positive I found out about the Max just because I already was collecting image books and, and pro- probably saw a full page ad for it. Possibly read about it in Wizard Magazine because I was I was reading Wizard every month back in the day too. Man, do I wish Wizard miss Wizard Magazine. It's just not I miss going Wizard. to like websites like CBR or what have you. Eh, it's fine, but there was something special, just like a new comic book coming off the you know the off hot off the presses and into your hands at the store. There's something to picking up uh, a Wizard Magazine every single month. I think Wizard might was Wizard still around when you started reading or I, I started re- I started reading wizard the their last year so I started getting into it in 2005 so yeah it was oh, it was kind of a, they, they stuck around that long I, I think I have the last issue you know, when I got back into comics, the first thing I did was go look up, okay, great, where can I find Wizard Magazine? Wizard like, is, is like, sad! <laughs> this is like 2013, <laughs> and I was so sad. I was so upset. I'm like, there's no Wizard Magazine anymore? This is bullshit. No! You bastards! But you despite being no it. wizard... <laughs> A Charleston of... Heston rage. You bastards. Uh, insert a uh, um, an ape... <laughs> uh, but this book is the Max, and we start off. Let's see. This is by Sam Keith. He does the art and story, but he also brought on uh, a gentleman by the name of William Lesnar Loeb to help him with the writing. They are co-credited as the writers. Similarly, I believe to how uh, when we did the Hellboy episode, I feel like I'm going to be bringing in a lot of the more obscure characters as we go through this. Uh, but as with the Hellboy, uh, you know, first volume of Hellboy. Uh, Mike Mignola brought in John Byrne to help him with the story because he was primarily, you know, he had these ideas, but he was primarily, uh, you know, a penciler at that point. Uh, Sam Keith, similarly, as far as I know, all of his work prior to this was was penciling. So he, I think he brought in a more experienced writer just to help him get off the ground and, and craft his ideas and his larger story ideas into, you know, more more coherent narrative and more coherent script. Um, so starting off, it's the max number one uh, right off the bat. 
I love the art in this. I'm just gonna say right off the bat, even even from the first page, um, like I, I love the way they have Max like laid out across the first page and like the words Max and the chung 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 because you know the part of the Max is he's always kind of going between these two worlds, the quote unquote real world, the one that uh, you know we inhabit, I guess you might say, and this place called the Outback where all sorts of weird magical stuff happens, and uh, he always has this like pounding in his head, and this pounding gets more intense right before he switches uh, from like. Like one world to the other, so I, I like that that visual is there right off the bat. That might you might not always pick up if you don't know what's going, but that that chung 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 that is you know I really like that's you're inside the Max's head. You're you're feeling the 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 shit that goes on in there, the noise that's that's in this uh this maybe crazy person's maybe mystical superhero's head. Uh, but we start off hit with his narration, and all we see is the rain on this box because he's a homeless man and uh, he's living in a box. Um, let's see. Uh, he's he's talking about the show Cheers, which really brings me back. Uh, have you ever watched the show Cheers? I can't believe I have to ask ask questions like this to, to someone I'm, I speak with on a regular basis. I absolutely, I absolutely love Kirstie Alley. Okay, you know, yeah, I'm already losing respect for you. That that's the version of Cheers that Woody that, Harrelson that was listening. there too. Well, Woody is great. Woody is a great coach, but uh, yeah, the original Sam and, and Diane dynamic dynamic uh, is tough tough to top. They Who's try to Sam? top it with Kirstie Alley. Who's Sam? Is this a serious question? Sam Keith? No, we're talking about Sam from Cheers, the main character of Cheers. It's not Woody Harrelson? <laughs> Are you messing with me? This is a legitimate question. <laughs> I think you're not messing with me. Man, I really thought you were. I thought surely he knows. Uh, hey, don't, call me, don't was... call me Shirley. <laughs> Woody Harrelson. <laughs> good reference. I'll give you that. Uh, Woody, Woody Harrelson was in Cheers, but he was not the main character. He was, not, he was actually just a side character. The main character was Sam, played by my God, my uh, my brain is freezing right now. This oh, see, it feels bad not to remember things, huh? Ted Danson, Ted Danson, Ted Danson was in Cheers. Ted Danson is the star of Cheers. Ted oh. Danson is all Cheers is all about Ted Danson. He is the character of Cheers. Everyone else, the entire show centers around his character. Oh, that doesn't sound so, funny. Here's your homework unrelated to the show maybe we can do a bonus show about cheers because why not uh you need to go back and at least watch the first season of cheers it's all on netflix that is classic classic tv there is no woody harrelson yet we have coach who's the bartender before woody comes in uh coach is an awesome character too who i think you'll love but woody you know woody is iconic i think woody woody really made a name for himself in that show and uh you know it's great but the classic lineup with sam diane pre-kirstie alley and and coach is 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 just must see. The the other regular characters like Norm and, and what have you, and the mailman guy whose name is escaping me are, are are key. So, that's your other homework. Between all the other homework that we have to do for the show. Okay. You know what's awesome about Second Print Comics homework though? It's watching TV. It's watching movies. There are worse things books. in life. There's worse things. No in complaining life, here. Certainly. So, although we may find ways to complain, so he's he's reminiscing about uh, the show Cheers, and he's saying, oh, "I don't have a TV." I don't have a TV now, but that's okay. The shows in my mind are almost always better, and uh, it's really <laughs> it's really hard to argue. We can pivot to just no, no, sitcom no, no, karaoke no, 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 no. Go, go, go ahead, go ahead. I'm good with it. Go um, ahead. So uh, we then we then see this. Uh, scantily clad sexy woman in a uh, in an alleyway because that's that's where you go she's getting dropped off uh, by this cabbie she's getting into an argument with the cabbie uh basically like saying like oh this guy doesn't know where he's going fine just just drop me off here oh we're, god we're three blocks away what's going on here so but it turns out this cabbie is in league with these uh, these 
these thugs named Fridge and Tigo, and uh, they are you know accomplices with this with this cabbie who I guess you know finds uh, women or whoever to drop off, who they then accost and you know assault and rob what have you. Um, so these guys are in the middle of uh, trying this assault, trying to uh, attempt to assault this woman when uh, something interrupts them. It is a, a I think it's like a penny that flies out of the box, and he goes to pick it up and turns around and sees. The Max. Uh, and the Max is... How would you describe the Max? I mean, he's big, he's purple, he's got claws. How else would you describe the Max? Here, here's the thing that I had to say. He's almost like Hulk-like in size, but without the strength of the Hulk. And he's a, and he looks like a monster, but he's fully human. So it's just one of those things that is interesting about the 90s. I would say this is one of the more cartoony of the of the comic titles of this time, because you're not supposed to take everything you see on the page literally, but you are supposed to take them seriously. So that's that's the best way I can describe it, because this are definitely not supposed to take a lot of what you see on these pages. Yeah. In this comic literally. That, yeah, that is for sure. Don't uh, don't this... take any of it literally and just be along for the ride, because it takes a little bit of processing to do. That's about it. So when you see him, you think you're dealing with like a doomsday level threat. But when in reality, he's not. So yeah, you have to really remind just... yourself of that. He is. um He's a heroic dude who is in a ma- mask, or they, they say it's a mask anyway. Uh, we'll get into some of the intricacies here. Uh, one of them is that he he's afraid to take off the mask. He's actually afraid to take off the mask and see what's underneath because he's afraid that he has a bunny head, the head of a rabbit. He's afraid of that. We'll get into why later. I just yeah. want to toss that yeah. nugget out there. <laughs> uh, but the Max confronts these guys. He's stepping out of his box in his big purple outfit with his big yellow claws. Uh, and uh, before he can even do anything to these guys, uh, you hear, you know, okay, freeze. It's, it's the police. So the cops are here. So uh, this, this chick is all excited. She's like, oh, great. The cops are here. Finally, someone's here to save me. Uh, and then we see this cape, and we cut to this shot of this this sort of shadowy figure and she's, she thinks it's the cops uh, she, and she's like oh I could have been raped and murdered I'm so glad you're here she's like wait a minute you're not and this this bubble here this word bubble from this man who we just see in the shadows still he's kind of kind of this like dome shaped head he says no I'm not and uh, then we say they, they see the cops they're saying hey, t- hey did you see a woman back there so typical cops they didn't even get you know what they should have been there been there to do they arrested the max and said just for I don't know for being a homeless guy for being a, b- a big purple you know the crime of guy. existing Exactly. So the Max is now uh, in the back of this police car, and uh, through his narration, we l- we learned that you know he doesn't even remember where he was last week. One second it was Friday, next thing it's Sunday, and uh, he's he's kind of laying back there in the in like the fetal position in the back of this car. When we see again in the background, I just love the way the panels are laid out. It's really unique how how Sam Keith lays out a lot of, a lot of his. It, it, it flows very well, and I mean, the a few episodes back we did battle scars, and that was an that was an example <laughs> of when you don't lay out things. Well. Properly, this is this doesn't look like it should flow like when you're just like skimming through pages. But when you just take the time to actually intentionally look at things and read, you're like, oh, this is actually really cool. Yeah. And like the his narration kind of wraps around his body. And in the background, again, we have that chunk, 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 chunk. And, you know, that, that head is pounding, which means that's right. We're going to the outback. Uh, so now we find that the Max is in a place that he calls, at least for now, he calls it Australia. 
Um, and he, let's see, he starts off, he's kind of laying there in his, when he goes to the Outback, he has the same, he looks exactly the same as he does in the real world, only has this kind of like, these like feathers on his head and this kind of like, I don't know, hair? It's kind of like a, a shamanic headdress, I guess I would call it. It looks like he's wearing like the skin of his enemy or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. Um, yeah, but he looks, he looks badass. He looks even more badass than he does in the real world, I think. And uh, he notices all these tiny little white hands are, are grabbing him and trying to pull him under the ground. And he, he's saying, oh, he's, it's starting to come back to me now. Oh yeah, this place. I know this place. Uh, this is Australia. Uh, this is where uh, you know, the, the, I, I learned all about Australia. Uh, not this one about you know Sydney, Melbourne, etc., but the real Australia, the one with the smoking caves, the gods who eat mountains, the flying dragons, the ri- rivers of gold, and the leopard queen. The le- leopard queen is, uh, from what we've seen so far, this scantily clad woman. And he said, and um, in like, kind of a leopard outfit, hanging out with her leopard. And then the Max says, for her, I can be a hero. And he slices away at all these little tiny white creatures that are that are flailing away at him. Uh, what'd you think of our first little glimpse at the Outback? When you're first, since this is your first time, what, what do you thinking like right off the bat are you thinking all right this guy is crazy are you thinking he's really sort of traveling between dimensions just as, as someone who'd never read this before i'm just curious kind of what's going through your head at this point oh totally totally crazy cool. totally crazy because you're not be, be, what, what i like about this is that it doesn't it doesn't tell you immediately it's showing you what's going on so you're interested in learning okay why is this happening and what is this because just up front you know this is not a superhero comic it's a comic with superhero elements, but it is not a superhero comic. That is absolutely true. This is by no means a uh, a conventional superhero comic or even a superhero comic. I think the closest thing you could say is that he's kind of wearing spandex, you know, but that's about other than it. that. That's a, that is about it. Uh, we then go and meet Julie, who looks mysteriously like the Leopard Queen that we just met. Uh, Julie is has a very unique profession. She is a freelance social worker. Have you ever heard of a freelance social worker before, Emzo? No. Yeah, I guess not. I, I mean, yeah, so. for a minute, I was like, you know, maybe I have. And I'm like, no. Yeah. Julie's got a nice outfit, though. I like her outfit. She's got this, this little, these little... If I had like, to have a social worker, I would I want wanted, this social worker. I would want her to be like Julie. Now, what I, one thing I like, and I, I think now there's a lot of issues portrayed through this series uh, in regards to, like, feminism. And, uh, you know, the, the, it's really something that, that comes up a lot. He, I don't think Sam Keith necessarily takes a certain side, per, per se, but he references a lot of uh, well-known feminist, uh, feminist authors... I'll, I'll say this. You have a comment? I am, and this is my personal bias. I'm a pretty conservative person, and this didn't offend me. I found Wait, it very just, interesting. Just the, just the general, like, conversation. Yeah, yeah because usually when it comes in these days, I, I feel like I'm kind of being lectured. When they weave it into the character, it just seems like they're being genuine to the character. I think, yeah. there, I think there's a difference when writing is meant to expand upon a character or a topic. And when writing is meant to just piss people off. And as they, you know, expand on who Julie is, I kind of like her. Right. Yeah, it, I think it's similar to your outlook on, you know, all the controversies that surround whenever Marvel or DC takes a character and, you know, makes them a woman or makes it a black guy or whatever. Uh, yeah. Y- your stance has always been, you know, as long as there's a good story and you make me care about the characters, 
it's cool. It's when you shoehorn it in and you're clearly doing it for no reason than to say, look, we got some, a person of color. Look, we, we, got, we got a gay guy. Look, Iceman's gay now. Uh, when it's just shoehorned in there and doesn't actually tell a story that makes sense along the way, that's where you take issue. And yeah, ultimately. And I think this is why I take it more personally of comic books than anything else. And I'll, I'll be done with my rant fast. But, you know, this is a monthly commitment. I'm, I'm telling my, my guys at the shop that I want you to order this and I'm promising you that I'm going to buy it. And, you know, comics are expensive these days. The contract. Yeah. So, like, if you're going to do a story with characters that I might not, you know, necessarily always like, I, I can I can encounter and admire characters that are just at least genuinely good and feel authentic to themselves. And I feel that with Julie, as we'll see going forward, it, it feels like a, like a real person. And for that, I can say, cool, this is a good story. This is a good character. Yeah, she feels like a real person. And like, like, I don't know, like Sam Keith makes a lot of references to, you know, like I said, like different feminists, feminist authors. And there's definitely like a lot of those themes about being a woman and what that means throughout throughout the story. There's a lot of different themes we're going to see. But what I like about his approach to, to here is like just in introducing Julie is how he draws the female body. Like, OK, the character of Julie is clearly like a sexy woman for sure. But Sam Keith, this is not like Jim. She's, Lee. she's not, you know, she's not an Olympian. She looks normal. Yeah. She has flaws. She has hips. You you know, she's not perfectly formed. Uh, she's like a chick you would meet in real life. <laughs> you know, yeah. she's not, you know, one of these like, you know, goddesses like, like Jim Lee's Psylocke or like someone that's just totally unrealistic. Uh, you know, where, whereas Sam Keith is able to make Julie look like an attractive woman, but, but like a normal woman, a woman that any, any, any woman reading this, I think would, would like her immediately. They wouldn't be, they, yeah, they wouldn't, uh, a woman reading this book would not be offended by the portrayal of Julie. They would think, oh, here's like a, a, a good looking chick who looks normal who i can relate to yeah uh but we meet julie she is a like i said a, a freelance social worker i still i still need to catch my i still need to get my head around that yeah i don't i don't know how that really works as far as i know social workers are not freelance work for, work for the government as, as far as i know but yeah. who knows maybe she invented this whole thing for herself she invented this little niche i'm proud of her for it um and she takes a phone call <laughs> you go girl and this phone call on, on the other end of this this call there's a voice that says i did it for you julie the pain the sex it was all for you Okay, <clears throat> interesting. Uh, so Julie goes and she uh, she bails out the Max. We then see her bailing the Max out of jail. <clears throat> he says he bit his fingers off off a cop. Uh, he bit fingers off a cop, and I feel like she wouldn't be able to bail him out so easily uh, if he really bit bit fingers off the off the cop. He says, "Well, he just got 12, 12 stitches to hold his hand together." And he's like, "And he says, oh, I didn't do it.'" And she's like, "Well, then if, if it wasn't you, then who did it?" He said, "It was the mask." And she's like, "Right." And already I'm starting to get like Jim Carrey in the mask vibes. Like you know, you're, you're starting to think. Like, okay, how much is this guy? I don't think we've heard his name yet in the book. But speaking, speaking guy... of speaking of Woody yeah. Harrelson, have you ever seen Defendor? Defendor? Defendor. Defendor? No. Yeah, it's no like Defender, that. but with an O or Defendor. And it's about Woody Harrelson, who's a, a very mentally ill man who's convinced that he's a superhero. Really? Yeah. When, when did this come out? 2008. Wow, yeah. I have I have no idea this existed. Right after Zombieland, nobody watched it. It's a very it's a very indie film, but I kind of get those vibes from it. So if you want a movie that's kind of like the Max that covers these themes, I would go and Google Defendor. Hmm. 
All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, so, uh, the, yeah, he basically says the Max did it. Then we cut over to the Max waking up at Julie's house. Uh, what a what a lucky guy here waking up on Julie's couch, especially when you're a homeless guy. I want to wake up, up on couch. Julie's couch. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind. Uh, and yeah, he's a pretty lucky homeless guy. He's got a good. She is clearly uh, clearly they they go back like this is not her first. They've got some spilling him out of jail. They got some rapport, and, and she uh, feels some affinity for this guy in this weird big purple outfit that he wears all the time. Uh, we then go to this laundromat where we meet Glory, who, if you only read these four issues, uh, you will not realize, does actually come back as an actual character later in the series. Uh, but Glory is this chick. She's hanging out with uh, her boyfriend, or I guess it's sort of her boyfriend, this guy Tommy here. He's trying to put the moves on little Glory. And... Uh, Basically, uh, she's like, nah, Tommy, we, let's not do that. Hey, Tommy, can you go uh, go buy me some uh, some snacks and, and all that stuff? And he's like, okay, I guess I will. And he's like, you know, he, he, as he's marching off, he's all he's getting all max. He's like, you know, if I got to go get, get snacks for her, like, I'm going to tell her, like, you know, this is good. We got to start getting physical here. All right. Which, you know. Well, hey, you think I, snacks come for free? I do, I do think Sam Keith again is like playing into just he plays a lot into like the relationships between men and women, the roles they play. And but it. It doesn't ever come across as preachy. It just, like you said, it just comes. It just comes across as you know, little nuggets he's putting in there for you to think about. Well, I will I say, like what I will say is often a feminist critique of comics because I am open and I've read them. It's that usually women in comics are supposed to be the damsel in distress, or they're supposed to be, you know, the quote fridged women, where they are only a plot device to further the plot. They are rarely part of the plot. So for the women to actually be a part of the plot, even though this is not the first comic to do that at this point, it's one that does it very well in a way which is respectful while trying to talk about those tones, but does it respectfully. Yeah, and in the max, the women are not only, as we go on and on in the series, and we're only going to get about four issues in here, but the women are not only part of the plot. They are, the they are the, the whole story is really do revolve around the, women, the female characters the plot. that we meet. I mean, the Max is almost a secondary character to, to Julie in, in many ways. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Gloria is in this, is now alone in the laundromat. And then uh, she starts to, uh, she turns around and sees this kind of this guy, this creepy guy, the silhouette, the same silhouette we saw in the alley. And all you see is this cape like protruding, uh, protruding away from him. And like all the, the machines are beginning to to leak. And she says the, the machines are beginning to be- leak and belch in my presence. I can hear the beating of her heart. This is now the narration of this mysterious man she is like a small delicious slug i have only to close my hand to possess her so this guy is uh he's creepy he's a really creepy guy and now all these little creatures these little black creatures start coming out of her cape out of, out of his cape and uh going after this chick glory she's she has a knife with her uh which she keeps on her that was mentioned earlier when she was talking to tommy uh because there's been these sort of these like rapes and attacks in the neighborhood uh and uh she starts stabbing away at these little creatures she's yelling get away get away and then you hear the voice from this this man Man who we're seeing a little a tiny bit more of his face there and he says no i do not think i will uh yeah and then oh yeah then tommy is practicing his speech to glory he's like what he's gonna say he's like you know glory if you're always gonna send me out to buy cokes and burgers and stuff then we're gonna go we're going steady and if we're going steady then that means uh so he's right he's like all right we're hopping in the sack glory so come on i'm buying you burgers and buying you cokes come on but he doesn't have time to, to give this speech because he shows up glory's knife is broken in two pieces stabbed into the wall uh and uh, you don't see her but you see her off screen she's saying i hurt tommy oh god the things he did to me uh so it's it's very strongly implied here that glory was brutally attacked and raped uh by by this man um 
were you, how did you feel at this point? You don't see a brutal rape, but we know there's been a brutal rape and attack and, and there's really no, you know, between his response and like the, I really love the lettering of her voice uh, in, in this scene here. Like her, like the letters are like, are they're, first they're normal letter letters and then they become these like kind of distorted looking letters. As, and then by the third panel, by the third little word balloon, they're like melting away. Like it really makes you feel the pain coming from her and you don't even see her. I, I really, just really love how, how much Matt, Sam Keith is able to portray uh, sort of what you're supposed to feel from these characters without even showing you just simply through this one image of the knife broken in half against the wall with a tiny piece of that cape and, and Tommy's reaction and her word balloons. And it was super effective. I thought, yeah, as much as I, as I like to credit both the author and the artists for the work that they do on a title, uh, comics will always be a visual medium and the mark of a good writer and the mark of a better artist is to show, don't tell. And this certainly achieves that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of other lesser creators would just show a brutally beaten and raped woman. And then we would be shocked. They would tell you, Oh my gosh, she's been brutally beaten and raped. Right. Right. But we don't need any of that here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he does a good job of like portraying brutality without necessarily showing us the brutality. Yeah. Uh, which is the hallmark of a good storyteller. I think they don't have to lean on, on those like, you know, disgusting, brutal visuals, but for the reader, I I feel it. Like, you know, it's like, you know, something terrible happened. Uh, we then go to, uh, Max and Julie are heading on out and, um, Again, let's see. Julie tells Max not to get into any trouble, and he's all like, "Yeah, uh, the, the bitch I saved was ra- the girl." He didn't say the bitch. He said, "Yeah, the woman, the woman I saved was was raped, was raped." So, uh, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Like, maybe I will get into trouble. Like, you know, bad things happened because I wasn't there because the cops took me away. Uh, Julie then gets a weird phone call again, and Max sees someone on a payphone, and it's like a little tiny. It, to him, it looks like one of those little tiny creatures, uh, but it's wearing like a hat and a and a cape. And, uh, like a, yeah, like a big cape. Yeah, but it's but it's in clothes. It's weird. And Max sees this creature on the payphone. Oh, by the way, payphone pay alert! We had a, I think every time we see payphones in comics, we should point it out. It's happened, I think, two other times in the history of the show. That means we are in the, the '90s or earlier, or maybe even in the year 2000, as it was. Come with me, Angel. There was one else in the next wasn't there? The world of everlasting <laughs> payphones. There you go. <laughs> The Ode to Payphones by Renzo W. Martinez. Find it on Spotify. (laughs) Coming this Christmas. And the voice says, The others cry out for you, Julie Winters. Their screams of agony are the kisses that I place along your neck. How freaking creepy. And she's just like, yeah, that's really interesting. Tell me more. And 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 then the Max is walking by and sees this guy on the payphone. And he goes, hey, don't I know that guy? And what's he doing with two phones? Because this creature is actually holding the payphone and then holding another phone. So like the actual, this creature is not who's talking to Julie. Uh, It's he's holding the phone and then talking through the payphone. And then he told me this guy got two phones. This guy's got two phones, a payphone and some kind of cell phone. So we did have cellular phones, I guess, at this point. But it was back when the cell phone. When did you get your first cell phone? Got my first cell phone not till my senior year of college, which I guess I'll just go ahead and age myself. It was in 2002. So that was when I got my first cell phone. Wow. This is like, I mean, this is like. When a, this is when you had to punch the numbers like three times to get to each letter. Actually, no, this is before that. This is before cell phones texted. What am I even talking about? My first phone was just a phone. It just rang or didn't ring. Like These were the options you had. That sounds uh, horrible. Yeah. I mean, at the time, it seemed amazing. I was like, what? I can get phone calls without going back to my, my room in college and, and listening to a message on an answering machine? This is crazy. I just always think of that scene from Scream. 
son, what are you doing with a cellular phone? <laughs> yeah, but he's got one of these giant. This is even like this is well before regular people had cell phones. This was like one of those giant phones that looks like, you know, the regular phone that would have been in your house back in the day. Uh, yeah, he's like, what's he doing with two phones? So, so Max decides to start chasing this creature because he recognizes it and he thinks something weird is going on because it's a little black, weird looking creature. Uh, so he's chasing this thing around. And I love the panel layout here. It's like six, eight to eight times three. What's that? 24 panels, like really like thin panels of just showing Max's chase of this creature around. Like, I really love how Sam Keith really mixes out the layout of the panels. Like, there's no page that is the same layout. At I, all. I appreciate it's always for a reason. Yeah, I appreciate the inconsistency. Because exactly. it, it it gets rid of predictability, which I think too many comics chaos. get rid of. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and yeah, he's chasing this creature, chasing this creature, and then it jumps off the building and it just goes splat. And then you, we finally do meet uh, this creepy guy that's been going around raping people. Uh, we see his face in full. He's got this big oblong looking face and these big white eyes. And he says... Greetings, Briar Lappin, whatever that means. And Max says, who the hell are you? And they're actually at a gas station right now. They're on top of these. I've actually never seen a gas station like this. They're these big, like, circular things. I guess they have regular things, but these are these big circular discs that are on top of the, uh, like, the actual gas dispenser things. And uh, so Max jumps from one to another, to the other one, to to meet up with this guy. Uh, And then we go. They are now face-to-face. We're only on the second issue. And the Max is already face-to-face with who seems to be the main villain. So the story pro- progresses quite quickly here. Uh, and he says, you really don't remember me. And he, this is Mr. Well, I'll just reveal his name. We haven't heard it yet. His name is Mr. Gone. Uh, and he, is, he says, you really don't remember any of it. Not the girl or the is or the bloodworms or me. And then Max is in his narration, which sometimes his narration is out loud and sometimes it's not. And he's never really sure when he's talking out loud and when he's not because we're supposed to think he's kind of crazy. Would you, would you call the Max a reliable narrator? Um, well, the, because we're seeing it through his point of view, yes, (laughs) but, um, it's hard to say because we're, I mean, I think we're supposed to be on this journey, at least through this portion of the story. We're sort of on this, this journey through the max. Like we're supposed to be seeing what the max is seeing. We're supposed to be feeling the confusion he's feeling. Uh, so in that sense of conveying what's supposed to be conveyed, yes, uh, is his narration reliable to quote unquote reality? Well, I don't know what's reality. What's not. That's something that this, that's a theme of this book. I actually want to do a little side tangent here because it's really only, I only as an adult that I realize how derivative the things I created. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this. I actually wrote a, an entire comic book as a child. Uh, I wrote not child. I was probably 12, 13, 14. I wrote a comic book. It does not exist. It was a script. It does not exist in any kind of hard format. Cause this is back in the days when I had like a DOS based computer and it was saved on some disk. Who know the hell, who the hell knows where that is? That computer in no way exists anymore. It might be printed out somewhere in the vault in Connecticut. Uh, but the, the the plot of my comic book, the main character, and I, I realize nowadays that I, I did basically just steal this part of it, sort of from the Max. But in, in my world, this guy would go to sleep, and his name was Chaz. Don't ask me why. I don't know why. I was thirteen. I thought it was a cool name. And he would wake up in another reality. So every time he'd go to bed, he would wake up somewhere else. And he gets into all these adventures, and he's meeting all these other creatures, and all these things are happening. And then he goes to sleep in that reality, and he wakes up in this reality. And at first, it seems fun, because he's going on all these adventures, and he just thinks he's having fun dreams. Like, he's just like, man, I have the most awesome dreams. It's like Fight Club. But But then he starts to notice he's getting more and more tired. 
and he's exhausted no matter because he's never actually sleeping. He's his mind is never sleeping. He's actually going and having these crazy adventures in this other world. And then he's coming back to the real world and has to go have a job and have a girlfriend and all these things. And he's just getting worn and worn and worn down. And I can't really tell you where it goes because I only wrote one issue and I don't know where it goes because I didn't plan ahead. I just wrote an issue of a comic book, but I actually did. And, and next time I go back to my parents' house in Connecticut, I will find this piece of art. I found the, 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 this does actually tie back to the max. The Macs used to have a letters column and they had a classified section. And I actually wrote, sent in a classified ad saying that I was looking as like a 13 or 14 year old. Like with a physical envelope? Yeah. I had to write down your ad in a physical envelope and mail it in. And then they would publish it there. And I got a response from this guy who was like, sure, I'll draw your comic. And his name was Raincoat Jones. And if he's listening or anyone knows who this guy is, I've looked him up. I was I was Googling, like, is this a real person? Like, there's no one that goes by that name that I can see now. Uh, who knows if he ever became an artist uh, in real life. But he did draw one panel of art for me that what? I have in my house in Connecticut. Oh, you have so, to do that. That's the journey now. I'm going to find it. I mean, one of these days when COVID dies down or maybe never, I'll actually go visit my, my parents in Connecticut. But, um, you know, for, for a lot of reasons, I can't do that at the moment. But as soon as I can, I will be procuring some old comics. I will be I've, I've already cataloged my entire collection, so I, I already know everything I have there. But that is something that I have to actually retrieve. That is cool. Anyway, that is my side tangent tying back into the Max. But yeah, the Max, the, it was through the Max letter column that I that I got my first uh, my first and only comic panel that I wrote drawn in a in, in visual form. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, anyway, so Max is now confronting uh, Mr. Gone here, and he's saying, "Oh, oh, it wasn't all a dream. Oh, wait, unless I was dreaming now. So what's real? Is the real? Is this reality real? Is the outback real? Who knows?" And uh, you know, and and then Mr. Gone says, "Too bad. I normally hate killing amnesiacs." And then Max's narration says, "Oh God, now I remember." It was all coming back to me. I could feel the hot sun on my back skin and the grasses under my toes. Those little creatures were called is, but twisted and changed by being moved to this world. And then I love this. And then Mr. Gon, this is supposed to be Max's narration. Then Mr. Gon, Gon responds to him. He's like, ah, true enough. Too bad you'll be eaten before you have a chance to mutter this to anyone. And then Dan, Max is like, damn, I'm still talking out loud. So he never knows if he's exactly uh, speaking out loud or, or, or narrating his own head, which is a, an aspect I like. That ends issue number one of the Max. What are you thinking so far? I'm in. I love it. I love it. I love that I'm getting to introduce you. I think between, I think this and the Max might have been the only two that you had never been. Uh, this and the Max. Savage this Dragon. And Savage Dragon. Yeah, it might have been. This this pulls me in more than Savage Dragon because Savage Dragon yeah. still feels like a superhero comic. Right. I like comics that that can move out of the genre while still being really good comics. Like, you know, that Stillwater series from Image. It's an outright horror, uh, you know, Stephen King type of story, but it takes advantage of the comic medium. I could say the same thing about this. For sure, yeah. It definitely has a, has a very different feel than... I mean, Savage Dragon is a different sort of superhero comic, but it's a superhero comic. Yeah. This is clearly not. This is clearly something different. So we start issue number two uh, with a little prologue where Julie is weighing he- weighing herself and uh, thinking to herself a lot of things that uh, females and, and alike think to themselves when they weigh themselves and obsess over their weight. Three weeks of dieting. Man, I, all I ate was cottage cheese, fruit plates, and yogurt, and I gained five pounds. Julie, I feel you. This has happened to me, too. The struggle, <laughs> Sometimes girl. You, I hear the struggle you, girl. Is real. 
I hear you. I hear you as well. Uh, she goes to open her fridge, and she's like, screw this. I'm just going to go eat something then. And this, one of these little creatures, these little demonic little is, were just like these little tiny black dots with arms and a bunch of teeth, basically. And uh, they're really actually really scary. I think they translate well to... I, there's actually... I don't know the status of it, but there is supposedly a Max movie in production. I don't know if it's starring Channing Tatum, but he is producing the movie. He's producing a Max movie. So I'm very interested to see the, the live action portrayal of some of these things. What I, what I think makes me feel weird about the Izzes is that they appear almost like a Looney Tunes character, but you know that they're dangerous. So it's almost like a part of your childhood is being distorted. If I want to get all deep and psychological and such. And uh, yeah, they, these is as you see a bunch of these little tiny arms climb out of the fridge and then you just see like Julie drop down while they're saying meep, meep. So uh, it, it appears she has been kidnapped. Then we then cut back uh, to the gas station where Max and uh, Mr. Gone are, are struggling with each other. And... Um, Let's see. There's this whole black tarp over over that's like forming over. There's this guy at the gas station and he's kind of just narrating and thinking to himself. Um, and he's he's he actually mentions what happened to Glory. I don't think this is Tommy. Is this Tommy? Yeah, it is. Actually, this is actually Tommy. This is, this is her boyfriend before. Uh, and he's narrating when um, there this black he sees like, OK, so he looks in this car and sees a bu- like six grandmas, six like lady old grandmas that look exactly the same, have the exact same purple sweater, the exact same sunglasses uh, or glasses, I guess. And he's like, oh, that's weird. There's like six grandmothers that look just like my grandmother. This is really strange. And then this black tarp starts falling down over the station. He's like, oh, I never noticed this before. It's it almost looks alive. It's actually slipping down and falling all over this thing. He's like, oh, maybe it's some some kind of automatic sunshade. I don't know why that would exist or why that would be coming down over a gas station. But eventually it envelops the entire area around him when down from above falls the Max and Mr. Gone who, who are struggling. They're battling each other. And uh, Mr. Gone's cape is like wrapped around the Max as, as he's got his like clawed arms out. And I just love the, the big splash panel there with, with them falling straight through to the ground on, or onto this guy's roof. What's with the Max's claws? Like those are, those are real, right? It's not clear that they are. I mean, they're as real as anything in this in this series. They are, they are per. Yeah, they're not. They're not something. They're not like a finger he sticks out. They they're permanently in that clawed position. There's it's basically your middle finger, but it's just a, a pointy, sharp looking claw. Okay. So yeah, works for me. That's all I got on that. Uh, as they're battling, he continues to uh, Mister Gone uh, continues to refer to the Max as Briar Briar Lappin, and uh, he he wants Julie Winters. That is clear. He's mentioning Julie Winters. Max has a, no idea what's going on. Uh, then he you know he, he makes that clear. He has no idea what's happening. He's like, who the hell are you? What is this shit? And uh, then Max goes and he he uh, like Gone goes to pull out a gun or no he pulls a woman out of the uh, van and holds a gun to her head. And then the Max just smashes this woman, and he's like, "What? You you killed my hostage! You killed my damn hostage!" And then he shoots Max <laughs> in the leg and and runs away. And he's like, "Never do that again!" And he's like, "Ah, oh, brother, nothing's easy." I, I kind of find Mister Gone like he's supposed to be. I mean, he's a serial rapist and uh, abuser of women, so he's certainly not someone we're supposed to like. Yet he is kind of funny. <laughs> you know, like he just gets so mad that he killed this hostage, and then he just leaves. He's like, "All right, fuck this guy." It's it's distorted. It's like the Joker, and, and you know, I, I feel with him the same way I feel about the Joker. Everyone's like, oh, the, the Joker is a case of mental illness. But if you really pay attention, they're just evil people. And that's the thing. Like, you know, the, the villain 
in most stories, you know, if it goes back to like mythological era, you know, it's always supposed to be good versus evil, the, the man versus the devil. And the devil isn't always the most terrifying, just repulsive person. The devil is the person that you can't always get a read on, but you know his intentions are evil. That's why when people are like, oh, the Joker's just mentally ill. It's like, no, the, the Joker is intentionally evil and he knows he's evil. And that's how I feel about Mr. Gone. He's, you know, he has these like goofy moments where it kind of takes you, you know, out of the seriousness. But this guy's this guy's evil and evil is a thing. Evil is a thing. And this guy is it. Although this is a, I'm not going to spoil this, this. This series goes in some wild directions. It does. Put it that way. I think there's 35 issues, uh, 35 issues total. And uh yeah, let's just say it goes in some weird directions. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, but yeah, anyway, if you don't know it goes in weird directions by this point already, then then you know you're not paying any attention. Uh, but yeah, then the, the guy's like, "Oh, that was really smart of you. you yeah, you realized that was my my uh, my car practice dummy. What the hell is a car a practice dummy? Like what? what like a crash a test dummy? I guess so. But why would this or like, just a mannequin? Kid have one? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, and Max is like, "Oh, a dummy. Yeah." So like Max thought it really was just a woman that he smushed, I guess, apparently. So we're supposed to think I guess we're supposed to think Max doesn't mind murdering hostages either. Uh then the Max gets jumped by these creatures. They're the same is creatures, but they're dressed like the grandmas that this dude just saw. They have those glasses and they have this like wig on their hair. And and the and, and now so we cut back to like the Max is seeing them as these little black creatures, whereas this kid sees them all as grandmas just biting all over the Max. So it, it appears these creatures appear one way to regular people. They appear as whatever they're dressed up as, whereas the Max or others, you know, that are more in tune with things can actually see them as they are, these little black uh, demonic creatures. I thought that was a pretty interesting, um, you know, kind of twist to these little is creatures. It's kind of like They Live, where you put on the glasses and you could see an alien. exactly. Exactly. Man, that's a great movie. It is. Like an amazing movie. Uh, Let's see. Back in the real world, uh, Mr. Gone is nope. I skipped something. So Max is being attacked by these creatures. Uh, he's he's all bloody. He just he then curls up back up into the fetal position, and uh, you know, he's losing blood. He's he's he says he's blacking out. He's lost too much blood. Uh, where we see Mr. Gone just kind of uh, whistling his way down the alley, and uh, now he and he grabs the his is that was uh, the is they basically chased Max into this uh, this dumpster basically and uh you know he goes and grabs the grabs the is and puts a little box on him and says all right we don't want the the locals seeing grannies clip clip to trash bins by their teeth because <laughs> because then because that would be you know that would be weird we then cut to the outback because max has uh max has lost consciousness and sometimes when that happens he appears back in the outback uh, and he is searching for the jungle queen, uh, but she looks different. She looks like pale, and uh, the, the, she looks different than she did in the last episode. She's like kind of, um, she's kind of like huddled up, uh, you know, on the floor, sitting there, and her voice, like the the um, the lettering of her voice, is different. It's all red. Uh, they really do a lot, like with like the lettering and uh, in these things, they really convey a lot just from like how they change the the how like the coloring of the different word balloons and this sort of thing. So in this case, I, I'm picturing her sounding like demonic here. She's saying like, "Bad doll, this is a bad doll." It keeps telling me things I don't want to hear and that this bad doll doesn't shut up I'm gonna brush its hair right out and he's like okay so then we cut back to the real world and this is where uh, Mr. Gone is now narrating and uh, he, he he mentions that the dark seas they turn meat eater when you bring them to the world. So these are the same creatures. Uh, Mr. Gone is taking a bath here while while he's narrating. By the way, um, having a good old time. Uh, yeah, he's saying like these creatures they turn uh, they appear as humans to uh, they they appear to humans as whatever you dress them as. So that's why because they're dressed up as grandmas, this guy sees them as grandmas. 
Um, but you know, and he's actually talking. We we realize now he goes out of the bathroom. He's brushing his teeth, getting cleaned up, and uh, he goes out. And he there we see he has Julie all tied up in a bunny outfit. And uh, well, I mean, as far as tied up hostages go, Julie's looking pretty good. I gotta say. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm not supposed to think that, but, but honestly. Sh- She's she seems to be handling it quite well. <laughs> you know, she's she's like talking sarcastically to him. She says, let me guess. I'm supposed to be dressed as every cheerleader, prom queen and circus acrobat who ever turned you down for a date. And as I beg and whimper, you finally achieve some sort of sexual revenge. And he's like and Mr. Gon's like, oh, well, uh, so much for that plan. <laughs> and then he, he smushes one of his little you know, little uh, is creatures there because it won't shut up. And he's Julie's basically just like she she's badass. She is not at all scared of her situation. Uh, she is she is talking back to this guy and really doesn't give a shit. And uh, Gone is saying, you know, women's like, uh, or, or I'm sorry, Julie says, I guess you've got a problem with women. And Gone says, Gone says, of course I do. Women taunt and tease because they're attractive, and then they punish you for being attracted. And he says, yeah, you quote Camille Paglia endlessly. This whole elaborate fiction you've built up to protect yourself from the truth. Uh, so yeah, they're they're. They're basically like he he's like he's laying down like I guess like the misogynist sort of uh, incel viewpoint essentially. That's a good way of putting it. Pretty much, that's pretty much what he is. He's the incel of his time. Uh, we then uh, let's see. You can comment on this while I try to figure out where I am in the story because this is it's it's hard to follow sometimes because they they kind of bounce in so many different sort of uh, layouts and panels here. But that's that's part of what makes it fun. Image comics aren't around this era are not really known for their dialogue, but I really enjoy the dialogue in this book. Like it feels like it feels like when you say it out loud, the, the key of good dialogue is if you say it out loud of the tone that the, that the picture is supposed to say, and it sounds right, it's good. It's when it looks good on paper, but then you say it out loud and it doesn't sound right. There's something wrong with it. Yeah. So now we're, we're intercutting between Shots of Julie speaking to Mr. Gone, and she even says, like, sure, I test the limits. So what? Like, she's like, yeah, I dress pretty sexy, whatever. Quit whining like a broken doll and get on with it. And he's like, all right. So he's, he's, she's taunting She's him, a very and, rude freelance social worker. <laughs> she really is. She gives no fucks. Uh, she's like, man, yeah, you, you forgot so many things. Things about me, things about yourself, things about the Max. You've built up this elaborate fiction to protect yourself from the truth. And as as he's talking to her, she, you see her. She's got some kind of like sharp object and that she's used to. Uh, she's seemingly cutting herself out. Meanwhile, we're interspersing back to the to intercutting back to the Outback version of julie or the leopard queen and she's saying the doll is telling me things i don't want to hear and if it doesn't shut up i'm gonna brush its head right off and she's an acute and as mr gone's talking she just we're still we're hearing outback julie's head if this doll doesn't shut up and then as uh, as he approaches she has untied herself she turns around we're intercutting panels now this layout is crazy between this doll that she's brushing so violently in the outback back to her grabbing mr gone's head and holding this what we know is we can re- you realize now is one of the teeth from those little is creatures, uh, and he's he's holding it. She's holding this tooth right into Mister God's neck, and that is. Uh, and then we cut back to the outback version where she says, "I'm going to cut off its head." And then we see the doll's head uh, pop off and fall to the floor while we see some blood. Uh, but we never see Mister. Go- we never see Mister Gon's head get cut off. But it's implied that these are kind of like things happening in, in two realities at once. Uh, in the outback reality, there's the scared, uh, the scared leopard queen who's just brushing the hell out of its doll until its head falls off. And in this reality, we see Julie herself grabbing this is tooth and seemingly, supposedly, 
I guess, cutting off the head of Mr. God. Yeah, like it's not parallel Earth, but in terms of just story dynamics, it's like a counter Earth. Yeah, something like that. Uh, and then we see the Max. He is he is snapped out of it. He's back out of the Outback. And uh, he says, I wish it was time for cheers, but it's not. It's time for vengeance. So the Max is, uh, is going to go out to go find this guy, I guess. And he's smushing some is along the way. What an adventure so far, right? It, it, it feels like so much. Uh, this is like, okay, we meet got Mr. Gone as the main character. And while we haven't seen his his head get chopped off, it's been implied that by the end of issue two, uh, this main villain's head has already been chopped off. I, I, did you expect that at all? <laughs> no. And, and like I said, whether it's the story or the way that the, the artwork and the panels flow, it's unpredictable. And it's really delivering that. Yeah. Well, speaking of unpredictable... Pe- to, wow. Unpredictable. Uh, we start off issue three with another cool panel layout. We are now in the at- outback and uh, we're learning through narration that uh, we're learning about some of the animals in the outback. And I really, I really enjoy this page here. You know, we, we first, we meet this slug, the gibbetit slug or the outback slug. It can, ne- it can I'm leap. I'm not even going to try and do that. I don't even know. It can leap nearly a quarter mile straight into the air, but it has never mastered the ability to land. And you just see it go splat and 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 explode. And then you see this other this other creature, the Great Northern Crabbit. It's like a crab and a rabbit. I love the creatures that we meet in the outback. But this is this is like the this is like a twisted Doctor Seuss. I was just I was thinking the same thing. It's, it's like a really twisted Doctor Seuss. Uh, the he says the Great Northern Crabbit can jump and land, so that's awesome. But it has a natural enemy that is, and it shows this little white creature because they're white in the outback. Uh, it shows it eating this this jumping and eating this crabbit. But the is can land and jump, and it has no predators unless you count me. So it's the Max crushing an is a white is in the outback. But then we cut to the real world where the Max is crushing a black is in the real world. So there's like so, there's like parallel events, like you said, going on. They're they're both they're happening in, in both worlds at once, or are they? What's real? What's not? I don't know. Is this all in the Max's head? We're not sure. At first, in the beginning, in the first issue, it seems you think this is all in the Max's head. But then we are seeing the parallels uh, with Julie and the Leopard Queen happening as well. So it's really not very clear. Uh, but that that the lack of clarity is what makes this interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a saying when uh, somebody was talking about like how parallel Earths and stuff uh, work in comics and they were like you know they might not always sing straight but they always rhyme and this is yeah. one that really rhymes right so the max he crushes this one is and then he's chasing this other is down this alley so he's just running around uh and of course like the the people in the alley just see like like an old lady probably or whatever uh while that max is chasing and then suddenly whoops max is back in the outback and he's like oh man i I, I got I happened again. I'm back in the outback, man. I got to just make sure I remember things because sometimes it's hard for me to keep my memories. He's like, he's like, yeah, I got to remember about Mr. Gone terrorizing the city. I got to remember all the people he mutilated and killed and he's going to kill if I don't find him. I got to remember. So he's like, I'm going to, I'll remember. I got this. And he's like, wait, why am I, why am I chasing this is he's like, yeah, I had probably good reason. So he just keeps chasing this thing, even though he's already forgotten the whole thing. So it's, it's kind of like a real dream. And when you wake up from a real dream or go back into the real world or what have you, like when you first wake up, you remember the whole thing. But then like within a few minutes, uh, at least, I don't know, at least, at least that's how it works with my dreams. Like I remember my dreams so vividly when I first wake up two minutes later, I couldn't even tell you what the hell happened. Usually completely out. Uh, so we, Fun fact: Do you know that? Yeah, do you know yeah. that? Do you know that dreams only happen during the last two minutes of your sleep before you wake up? I didn't know it was specifically the only last two minutes. I knew I knew it was like the you know the the part of the sleep that's closer to when you're waking up. Yeah, yeah. Apparent, apparently, it's like within a couple of minutes of when your body is about to physically wake up. 
That's interesting. Do you ever dream and then wake up and like in the middle of the night and then fall back asleep and get, and just it's like you press pause and you just continue the same dream? Yes, that's called lucid dreaming. Well, lucid dreaming is a little different because lucid dreaming is, is when you can actually like take control of your dream and actually act out oh, things. Yeah. I, I don't have that ability just yet. It's one I like to develop though. Uh, but um, I've definitely had dreams like literally last night. I woke up like three times in the middle of the night because I had to wake up really early. And whenever I got to wake up really early, I can't sleep that well mm-hmm. because I'm always You're afraid that I'm not going to wake up in time. Yeah. Exactly. So that's the nights that I have these kind of dreams. These, uh, But I, yeah, I'll wake up. I'm like, oh, I got to go back to sleep. And then it's like, I close my eyes and I'm back in that same dream. What that dream was, I couldn't tell you because it's more than five minutes after I woke up. But but my brain does know, like it does remember, and it puts me right back in there. It's really fascinating. We could do many, many hours just talking about dreams and what they mean. But instead, we'll go, go back into the max, which is basically the same thing. So he's back up uh, and he's chasing the black is. Yeah, well, now he's chasing the white the is because now he's hopped back over to the outback. Yeah, it's very confusing. So in the real world, he's chasing a black is. In the outback, he's chasing the white is, and like so, I love this panel. Like he's he's going through. I mean, we're made to believe that the Max is kind of crazy here still. I think because, but we know he is chasing the is even in the real world, or is he chasing some old lady? Who knows? Uh, but like in the real world, you see that he's like he's running and chasing this thing under a Goodyear blimp. Meanwhile, in the outback, you see him uh, chasing it underneath what is called. Let's see, what is it called? It's an air whale. It's a giant whale. That's floating in the air. Uh, and there's all these different creatures. I love the the inventiveness of Sam Keith and all the little creatures that he shows us, uh, many of which are not even named. They're these weird, like, man, I don't even know how to stro- describe this one creature. It's like an it's like an ostrich leopard or something. That's I, I a good no way idea. of putting it. Yeah. And then now we see the Max. Um, let's see. He is. Oh, that's the spotted Susadon. Oh, that's, like, that's probably that must be a reference to Dr. Seuss, the spotted Susadon. I could say it. I could dig it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. He's chasing the is through the outback, uh, running, 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 and then uh, a bunch of is are suddenly chasing him, and uh, he falls into this net. It was like a, a trap, I guess, that was set for the Susadons. He breaks out of the net. Um, let's see. Yeah, he breaks out of the net, and he's running, chasing more is, and then he falls down this hole and is trapped in another net where that actually is holding him at this point. Uh, and he yells, and then we see the doll, that same doll that we saw, it's yelling, Mommy, and then Max is yelling, No, and then suddenly he falls, and he's there in this other room, which appears to be uh, maybe the real world. I don't know. And then Max, uh, when, when Max like hears this doll screaming, he goes, Man, I hate waking up in someone else's nightmare. So it's almost like, like he's conscious that this is maybe part of julie's dream or something it's really not clear um but yeah now he's in this like leaky bathroom and then the water just like shoots out uh so he is actually still it kind of looks like the real world for a minute but it's not uh this water blasts out and then we see this voice this 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 word bubble this uh what do they call them word bubbles word bubbles right yeah word balloons or word bubbles word balloons okay whatever bubbles balloons um and um we see this unmistakable word balloon uh, that is clearly belongs to Mr. Gone because we recognize it from you know previous issues. And he says, oh, a little confused by the modern technology. Hey, Briar Lappin. Uh, and he says, pretty neat mask, huh? And he, he pops out and he has this really crazy looking like tribal mask. Uh, then he takes it off. He says, oh, it's, it's only me, Mr. Gone, man of two worlds, master of disguise. And he says, give this to Julie Winters when you see her. And he smacks his smacks mask with this mask. So now Mr. Gone and uh, the Max are battling still you know you're in the outback when when Max has that like headdress on that like shamanic headdress with the uh, with the um, the thing I mean, man you know you're in the, the outback thing. for a lot of reasons yeah 
Um, so they're they're battling, they're battling, they're talking, uh, they're talking. Um, and and uh, Mr. Gon says, "Man, you're a lot stronger on this side. I'll have to remember that." And Gon mentions that he and Julie are linked, and he's like, "Let me convince you with just one word, mommy." And then you see this like shocked look on the Max's face, like he knows. He's like, "Oh shit!" He knows what he knows what he's talking about. You know? Uh, he says he says he knows who the Max is, and he knows who he was before he found the mask on the ground. So this is the first hint of you know you know Max's possible origin. Uh, just like the mask, just like Jim Carrey in the mask, uh, it seems he found this mask and put it on and, and it turned him to what he is. That's all we've really uh, known. And he also says, he reveals that the Julie and the Leopard Queen are one. And um, he's like, yeah, tell me. So basically they're battling and, and, and fighting. And then he's like, you know, like a lot of villains, he's like, hey, don't kill me because I got to, you know, you got to learn everything about yourself. And then Max actually just stops. He's like, all right, tell me. And he's like, nah, maybe later. The <laughs> truth about you is just embarrassing, but Julie's truth could destroy her. And he's like, oh, Julie and the Leopard Queen are, are one? Wait, what are you saying? Like, Max is like just trying to just trying to figure out this all out. And Mr. Gon's like, man, this is going to be a long night, which I, thought, which I thought was hilarious. He's like, this primitive plane, which you think is Australia, and I, I call Pangea, is all that is real. So he's, he's Mr. Gon is saying, this is the real world. This outback place is the real world, this place that you call Australia because you're an idiot. I call it Pangea because I know what it really is. This is all that's real in the other world is the dream where we're trapped playing out our deepest fantasies i just really like this whole this whole kind of speech by mr gone this idea of what what is the real world here you know we're, we're we're dealing with this concept so much in this series and mr gone is laying it right out here he's saying you know is that is that really the real world or is the real world this this place this place where we can do whatever we want where we have these crazy creatures that place that's where you work out your deepest darkest fantasies it's like it's like switching the roles of, of how we view dreams right now it's kind of like inception it's like if you could have what could be the perfect world would you want to know the difference yeah it's this is like trippy and this is inception on acid yeah (laughs) and uh, yeah and then we realize now at some point we've switched from mr gone's narration to the max's narration uh and he says at least that's what the villain told me but who can believe a villain and then we see that it's actually the max that is narrating this this uh the story to julie as they're just sitting up on a ledge and he's clipping her toenails just like a any old any old homeless pal of a social worker did yeah they're 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 bffs there is actually zero hint of a a romance here between it's very platonic it's definitely platonic and how do you have a romance with well i don't know you're a big dude with a big big tooth mask mask and these i don't even want to think about what could happen with those claws we'll just leave that at that just leave it at that um uh, let's see. We then he says, uh, you know, Gon told me three years ago uh, that a young architectural student was beaten and raped and left for dead. So presuming here at this point that we're uh, we're, we're hearing about Julie's origin or her her own origin story as a freelance social worker. He says, uh, and then when she got out, she used her tuition to start up a new life as a freelance social worker. Quote unquote. Quote unquote. Uh, trying to help other victims out of the urban uh, nightmare. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, and she, let's see, blah, 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 blah. She says, I was robbed, I was raped, nobody loved me, blah, 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 blah. She's like, look, I'm not I'm not a victim. I'm not blaming the world for my problems. She's like, everybody's got to take responsibility for their own life, you know? So they are actually putting, like, they're pitting different feminist narratives against each other. She, she's not some, a fridged woman. 
Exactly. Like, I mean, some feminists would take the, uh, like, I don't want to get into a whole debate about feminism here. I'm just trying to relay what I believe the author is relaying here. But some feminists take the sort of victimhood mentality of things. You know, they believe that the the um, the misogyn the misogy- misogyny and the patriarchy are what's holding them back. And I'm sure on many individual cases, abused women probably have a right to blame people that have abused them. But that is not the the attitude that Julie takes here. She says, look, everyone has problems. Things happen to everybody. I got to, I'm taking responsibility for my own life. I'm not going to bother. And she actually says to Max, uh, she's like, look, Max, save save the liberal feminist garbage from someone. Okay? She's like, I don't give a damn about this. I, I, I'm going to be just fine. <laughs> and, he, and, and Max is like, as he's telling this Max narration, he's like, you know, I was already having trouble remembers the, remembering all the details of what he said. He's like, it was just like a dream, like a really bad dream. So three issues in. What do you, what are you thinking here of where things are going here? I'm still hooked. This is good. Still hooked. Very good. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't want to stop where I stopped. I actually did continue reading more than than we had agreed upon here because I think I'm I think now that I'm I'm into this, the problem is I have so much I want to read, so much to read for the show, and then everything we read for the show that I read back in the day, I don't want to stop. So I'm still reading Savage Dragon. Uh, I'm still reading. I'm going ahead with more Swamp Thing. I'm now I'm gonna keep reading Max. It's like I, I'm getting sucked back into all this stuff, but it's stuff that I read like 20 years ago. So it's it's familiar to me, but it's also new to me in many I ways totally too. Hear it, yeah. How how much do I remember from when I'm a teenager? But it's interesting because somebody it's really interesting how the human brain works because there's so many panels I recognize. You know, it's like wow, I actually remember turning a page as you know. I, I say 20 years ago. I'm I'm being really really generous. It's a it's a lasting impression. Yeah, this is closer to 30 years at this point for a lot of these stories. Uh, yeah, they really do leave like especially books, unique books like this really do leave like a, a lasting visual impression in your mind. That's why I think you know I, I'm a big movie buff, but I will always take an afternoon reading a couple good graphic novels or a good stack of comics over watching a movie because you know the challenge of combining good writing with good art is always something that just pays off more on on the page. And with stuff like this, I mean, I'm the exact same way. It's like with X with Ultimate X-Men last week. You know, it's not the best comic ever made. And we gave it a pretty, you know, dismal score. But it's always going to be one of my favorites. I think we both gave it lower scores than we thought we were going yeah, to. Yeah, like... Even, even my score, I was planning to not rate it super highly. But I, even I found myself rating it lower than I thought. It's one of those things where it's like, you know what? But you remember where you were and you remember what stuck out to you. And I will never get rid of those comics because of that. Because it's, you know, it's, it's that... That lasting impression. Yeah, and I'm so glad I have a lot of these books um, not in my physical possession with me, but in my uh, in my you know my legal possession. And uh, I do plan at some point to sell a lot of my comics, like a, a lot of the ones I have. But there are many that I will not sell. Some I won't sell because you know I just feel like they they might have value in the future. Not that many though that I would not sell for that reason. Honestly, like I have a couple copies of Spawn Number One, and I mean some of them are worth like a hundred bucks. Uh, but am I, am I ever going to be a millionaire because of those Bond books? No. So I, I don't know if I even be that attached to keeping them necessarily. Someone wants to pay me a hundred bucks for one. I, I might, I might do that, but I will probably never get rid of these original max books or these original Savage Dragon books because they have so much sentimental value to me at this point that, you know, exactly. Well, there's no price you could. Well, there is a price. You want to give me a couple thousand bucks for them? I'll probably <laughs> will get rid of them, but, but you got to put up no a hard bargain. Yeah. You really have to twist my arm. Uh, then we go to the max number four and, it's weird because three issues in, it feels like we've already, you know, you could, you could all just almost end the series here. Like we just saw, a, we just read a whole series. Uh, you know, we saw an entire arc, but there's, there's so many questions left unanswered. Like Mr. Gone is dead, I guess, in the real world, but not in the outback. But it still sort of felt like a complete 
you know, a complete like little three issue series. And I really think what's unique about this series to me, like so much happens in, in such a short amount of time. Like you really, every panel is necessary, whether it's dialogue that goes on for pages, but it's all very necessarily necessary dialogue or whether he's just laid things out in a certain way. I, I never feel like, any single panel is wasted. And there's not a lot of books I can say that for even a lot of my favorite books, even a lot of Eric Larson, Savage Dragon books. Sometimes I just feel like, all right, there's three extra panels of fight here because there's 23 pages in a book and that's what we had to do. I never feel that way about the max ever. Yeah. Every every square inch of the page is like a piece of a, a, a masterpiece in a way. I'll say that. Right. Yeah, I would agree. It is absolutely masterful. Sam Keith. I want to get it. This makes me want to get some Sam Keith originals. Uh, but we're going to just dip into issue number four here. Um, and this issue is where we meet a character named Sarah who actually becomes, at some point down the road, she actually becomes more of the main character. And this character is in is in the uh, the animated series as well. Uh, but we meet Sarah. She's a writer and she is recanting that she met uh, this homeless guy who is the Max, of course. And yeah, he was talking about how he's actually this uh, jungle, Austra- he's just actually this jungle warrior guy in Australia. He also says he knew my father. And we're like, oh, who's, this, who's her father? That's weird. Uh, and she says her dad died when she was young and they show this vision of her dad with a bullet through his head and he's he looks I, I mean they're not trying to be coy about it so I'll just say it's Mr. Gone I mean it's clear that her her dad is Mr. Gone uh, it's the same face he just the only difference he has is a huge mustache and a bullet through his head um, so they're they're putting that right out there right away uh, and she says three years ago Mr. Gone got mad at his boss and, and she doesn't call him Mr. Gone but she's like three years ago my dad got mad at his boss and shot everyone and himself and I think it's interesting that it was three years ago because in the last issue we also saw Max recanting recounting Jude Julie's story of how she three years ago she took all her tuition and started this job as a freelance uh, freelance social worker or whatever. Sure, so all these timelines are kind of adding up. Like they, there might actually be some connections here, especially when it appears this girl Sarah, uh, her dad is Mister Gone. Uh, she's talking about uh, so Sarah's just narrating this thing, and we're meeting her mom. Her mom is kind of this like bitchy mom stuck in the 70s and uh she also tells about about her friend jimmy her friend jimmy is this other kid at school who's kind of like her well not kind of like her he's actually totally different than her she's kind of like this like sort of goth like dorky looking not really goth but she's got this like long dark hair and wears like a trench coat and very like 90s grudge yeah very grunge, 90s grunge. Yeah. jimmy's kind of like this this punk with a bandana smoking a cigarette wearing wearing sunglasses but what they have in common is no one really likes either of them and uh in her narration i one thing that she says she says death is hard and cold and ugly not some cute chick and then we see a shot of death of like a poster and it's clearly death from the sandman comic which sam keith did draw but he didn't draw while Death was a character. Death actually didn't come in until issue eight, and Sam Keith, I think, was only on until issue five. So, but another reference to Death. We are, there's a second reference to the character of Death in a non-DC book, right? Because, uh, because the first one was a, in Incredible Hulk. Exactly, right. we saw that when we looked at the Incredible Hulk issue, the wedding issue of Rick Jones and Marlowe, when there was a reference to a brush with death, like and then you like see episode it. five or episode six. Go back and listen yeah, to you that. Got, you you got to get through that archive, guys. To go tick back, you want to read all this stuff. Uh, yeah, so we meet her mom. We meet Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy steals a car. I'm going to kind of rush through this, uh, this issue because uh, I got to hop off soon. Jimmy stole a car and was attacked by these carjackers when Max uh, intervened. Uh, and Jimmy is acting all tough like, oh, he kicked their asses and, and scared them off. Uh, then we go back to Julie. She is back. Looking sexy as fuck as always. Man. Hey, Julie. I, Julie. I'm a big fan of Julie, I got to say. As, as far as realistic looking comic book characters. 
Really sweet outfit she's got there. Anyway, I'm going to move on. Uh, Julie's back, and uh, we find out that uh, this old friend of her mother's, uh, she is actually an old friend of Sarah's mother, which makes me a little confused, because I thought Julie was younger, but she's friends with this, like, mother, so I'm, I don't know, maybe Julie is, like, closer to 30. I thought she was maybe closer to 20, because uh, she's friends with this teenage girl's mom. I can dig it. Um uh, yeah, I actually wrote down what an age gap or how, how the fuck old is Julie? Uh, Sarah is also carrying one of her dad's guns. She just like says to herself while talking to Julie because she's like, oh, no, I guess to carry her to protect herself from this rapist that's been going around. Uh, so as her mom shows up and and her and Julie have the same argument they always have. Uh, Steinem, Paglia, Steinem, Paglia, who are two uh, feminist writers that have slightly different viewpoints on things. Uh, so again, we're, we're re- these these feminist issues are always be put putting out there, but we're never told what to believe. But it's it's kind of a running theme through 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 this entire series, really. Uh, let's see. We find out that uh, she tells the story of how Jimmy, her and Jimmy were at this dance and then they went back into this room and I guess they were going to hook up. But instead of hooking up with her, Jimmy actually just got her naked and then opened the door and let all these people see her. So it totally humiliated her. And uh, it's really, really sad because she she it's it, the saddest part of this scene where she's recanting this this story uh, of Jimmy humiliating her is that she says, uh, you know, like the, the worst part about her, J- Jimmy humiliating me in front of all these people to dance, he's like, is because I would have done the same thing. He's like, because now he's accepted and all the kids like him now because he set her up and, and uh, you know, made her laugh. She's like, man, I do understand. And uh, Sarah, that's deep, yo. Gun. Yeah. Yeah, he says, she says, I'm not mad. I'm not mad, Jimmy. So they go off. Uh, then we see Max and Julie are leaving. They're leaving the movie Indecent Proposal. So that that dates this thing. Wow. Uh, but again, I think this is another reference to these Woody sort Harrelson. of like feminist issues. Oh, Woody yeah. Harrelson, there. He, he, he was in, he was in that, right? Yeah. yeah. I never actually seen that movie. It's, but I know eh, he's in it. It's not, it's not the best. Yeah, I don't imagine it is. Um, let's see. Sarah joins. Uh, Sarah joins them. So she catches up with Max and Julie, and then the carjackers show up again. They smack right into the car that they're in, and these same guys come out. Now these guys, they're kind of like the grandmas. They got these weird like visor glasses and all the same shorts. So y- y- we know right away that these are the is because because the, the way they're dressed, how they're all dressed similarly. So while of course they are seen by Julie and by uh, Sarah and Julie as uh, these you know these um, these like shirtless dudes in bathing suits and visors, it's we the Max sees them as the is uh one of which is holding a gun at the max anyway the max uh ends up kicking their ass uh sarah sarah sees a dead is and just freaks out and uh, she points the gun, gun at the max she's like what are you doing stop this doesn't make any sense she's just like freaking out she's like and if it makes sense then it's all gotta stop and she goes to uh, pull the trigger but then she goes to she she uh, not pull the trigger she goes to cock the gun and she goes and points the gun at herself she's like nobody's in charge adults ruin everything and nothing works i have no control and unlike you julie i'm sick of running for myself i'm going to do it uh, but then she doesn't do it. She just throws the gun on the ground. She's like, all right, nobody buys it. That, that's not why you should go on. Why then? Because th- this is Max and Julie talking. Because things will change. You'll change. What about right now? Right now you wait. So they, they basically she just gives up the gun and, and isn't going to kill herself. Um, and then we see uh, Max, and Ju- and Max and Sarah are just chilling up on the bridge and hanging out and we're back to that narration uh i think it's sarah's narration again so, so that's my story uh that's her story of basically like how she met up how she became friends with the max that day that she met up with them uh after the movies and he point she pointed a gun she, she pointed a gun at him and then herself and he kind of 
talked her out of killing herself. And he says, pain last kid. It's how you know you're alive. Sometimes I think this whole growing up business is just pain management. You get that out of a fortune cookie? And Max says, very funny. Max says, pain. Julie runs from hers. Mine follows me through nightmares and you're waiting through yours. Waiting? No, waiting. So we can see the difference between the words because we're reading them, but the waiting and waiting actually do sound similar. And Max says, look, no one said it was easy, kid. Uh, and that's the end of issue four. So th- this is really just an introduction to the character of Sarah, uh, who does become you know a, a really major character as as we go on with the series. Um, this series, this is the first four issues. This series goes on for thirty five issues. There were also some spin off series. There was one, Friends one called of Max. Friends of the Max. Yeah. Yes, I have all of these at home. Uh, I'm definitely going to keep reading reading this series. What about you? Are you going to keep going with the Max? Are you you, you in? I, I'm going to keep doing it. I have to know. I have to know. Yeah, this this portion of the story, I, I can't wait till you get to to Max's origin and and until they really tell the whole story. Um, it's interesting, and that's all I'm gonna say because I don't want to spoil it for people that, that also want to go along. But I mean, I would say, well, let's just get right to let's our ratings because I have to get off soon. Um, I, I'm gonna give this uh, in retrospect. I actually wasn't sure how much I love this. I, I remember it being quirky and interesting and weird and different, but man the art really stuck out at me so much in this. I mean, not just the art itself, but like I said, the way Sam Keith uses different layouts of panels, the way he, the, even just the art between the real world and the outback, it almost could be two different artists. I yeah. mean, he really gets the style down where you really get a different feel for when you're in the outback, a different artistic feel. Uh, it almost feels like more like almost like painted art uh, in, in the outback. It's like this, these beautiful landscapes and creatures. And it just, it has a totally different vibe than when you're back in the city, back in the real world. Uh, it's, this is Sam Keith just does, does masterful, masterful art here. Uh, I'm giving the art a five. Like, I think this art's fantastic. I, I don't I, I don't think I can honestly rate it much lower. Uh, I didn't know I was going to rate it that till, till the word came out of my mouth. I don't decide my ratings ahead of time here because I, I like I like doing this in real time. Uh, for this story, the way he uses the inventive layouts, the, even down to the little details of um, how he uses like word balloons. Um, man, I mean, maybe some of that is to the letterer, but I got to think that he's he's guiding some of that as well. Uh, I, I just think this is is so perfect in terms of a, a visual, um, in terms of the story and the and the writing. Like, it's really. Like they don't lay anything out for you directly, hardly ever in this book. So don't ever think you're going to get a direct explanation. Although there are certain things they do explain, uh, but they always leave things open to interpretation for the reader. And some people might like that. Some people might might not. I love that. <laughs> no, I love that in writing. I love a narrative where they give me enough nuggets. They put put me in, in a number of directions, and I can kind of decide what I want to decide. I can have my own theories about it. It gets me thinking. And I'm going to give the writing. A four and a half. I'm going to give the writing a four and a half. I mean, for what this book is, for what this book becomes, it's not for everybody, probably. It's, it's probably a lot of people that might not get into this. But for me, uh, I like weird stuff. I like weird stuff that gets me thinking. And I like things that keep me guessing. And it's so inventive. I mean, this book is so original. It, it, there's nothing else like like the Max out there. Uh, all kind of under the veneer of sort of a superhero book, even though it's not at all. Uh, but if you just pick up the, the Max issue one and you see the cover with the Max on it, uh, maybe it is. But uh, so surprisingly, I guess, I don't, I don't think I realized how highly I was going to rate this, but I am going to give this book uh, a 9.5.
I love it that much. Mark, we are not too off on this one. What I'll say is the art is definitely getting a five. It is objectively good 30 years plus after it has come out. And it is it's more than just comic book art. I could frame this. And this stuff is like genuinely like not a single dot of ink is misplaced at all. It's it's visually stunning. It is so visually stunning. And I judged it based off the covers and stuff I had seen before, but actually getting to go in and read the the story, the the artwork flows so beautifully i'm giving it a five was it anything like you expected? no not at all i had very low expectations so i will say that for even not just an image book but just a comic book this is a perfect example of the range in which you can take the comic book the comic book medium uh i will differ with you on the story though if i'm going just based off this one volume i'm giving it a four because the latter half of issue three and issue four uh you know it has enough to keep it as a singular story but there's so much more you want uh i have not read ahead so i can't really go further uh i think giving it a four out of five for a total score of nine out of ten is more than justice i think that's more than fair a four is an amazing score so i I have i have no qualms with it um i'm probably not tainted but I, i the fact that i know the whole story probably you know makes me say okay i can see how this is building up to this thing and that sort of thing whereas you know it's almost an arbitrary point we stopped we stopped just because that's where that first maximized volume ends. Um, so I don't know how, you know, it's not really fair to say, oh, Sam Keith did this four issue arc because there's really there's really not that many. Everything has the Star Wars episode four test. Episode four, if, <laughs> exactly. if, you, if that was the only Star Wars that came out, it can either be just a good singular story or it could lead to something else. This does not pass the Star Wars test, but a four out of five, four out of five is nothing to snuff at. Nothing to snuff at at all. Yeah. Nothing to snuff at at all. So uh, both of us give the max a very high score is the point. So I, I think we can both give this our thorough recommendation. I would recommend if at least read these four issues. At least check out the maximized volume. It's on Hoopla. You can get it for free. Just go sign up for Hoopla. It's the best freaking service ever. All you need is a library card, and you put that in, and you get access to so many, not just comics. I mean, there's books, movies. I use it just for comics. Uh, but uh, there's so much on there, and the max maximized volume one and two is on there. So you can at least get that many of them for free. I think that's the first eight issues. Uh, I would say at least read this first volume. If you're if you're not into it after these first volume, this, not, this book is just probably not for yeah. you because it's probably not for everybody. It's definitely for me, and I absolutely love it. Uh, it's it's just weird enough, you know. But it's it's I don't know. It's weird with a purpose, you know what I mean? There's there's books that are just weird, and you're like, oh, this is weird just to be weird, and it's cool. And but you're like, okay, I'm. It's you know, got a point. I can only read so it's much. It's got a direction. Weird. Exactly. I can only read so much weird for weird's sake. When I start to feel like, okay, you're not actually doing a story here. You're just giving me something weird, which is fine. But this is weird with the purpose, weird with the direction, and the direction does does go places. So yeah. I, I highly recommend at least checking it out and, you know, either you'll be sucked in or you'll think it's not. You will be a better. You will be a better comic fan for it. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, with that being said, you got anything else to mention before before we wrap up? Here? Folks, it costs it costs you nothing, but it means everything to us. Please. Mark and I would appreciate the fi- those five star reviews on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you find us. You can go ahead and leave us a rating or review to that. So that way we can have fun with more people. And please send this episode to a friend, an enemy, a loved one, a stranger on a train. If you can still go on trains. This is a show for everybody and everyone. And episodes like this really get to show you how much fun we have, especially me dive into stories that I would have never ever read on my own. So there you go. There you have it. 
Exactly. That, that's half the, the purpose of the show. Half of it is to go back and read stuff that I read a long time ago that I, I might not necessarily take carve the time out to read. The other half is to introduce ourselves to new stuff. And I think we're both achieving both of those goals doing this 100%. show. 100%. And hopefully informing all these people out there along the way. Win, win, win. Yeah. But yeah, like Remza said, the freest, the easiest thing you can do is share this show. Tell a friend. If you insist, if you insist on paying us, you can do that too. Patreon.com slash secondprintpod. We give you every episode early. Uh, we do bonus content. Remzo has been cranking out his Remzo rants. Bam. I'm going to try to uh, get some more wine and and, re- and talk about Savage Dragon and maybe some of these other books I've, I've been going forward with. Uh, and we have a lot planned going into next year, so uh, it's only going to get better from here, my friends. Uh, so until next time, guys, we only have one more message for you, and that is, of course, to read comics and what? Change the world! Good night, America. Comics change the world. Buenas noches. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.